The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. 10 minutes after 8, members of the Social Cohesion Committee in Durban have brought a court interdict against Durban businessman Pumlani Mfeka for circulating a cell phone message alleging that South Africans of Indian origin in Durban are racist. The South African Muslim Network Samnet also called an urgent meeting in Durban last night to discuss what many call a growing anti-Indian sentiment in the city. Samnet says that dialogue is needed to better understand issues issues on the ground and to prevent any outbreak of violence. They want to unpack these issues and also look at the validity of them with the intention of finding positive solution. The court interdict against Pumlani Mfeka was brought by KwaZulu-Natal MECs Willis Mkunu and Ravi Pillay of the Social Cohesion Committee. So on the forum at 8 this morning, we're asking whether this is a ticking time bomb and uh, basically a deadly confrontation waiting to happen. And we are joined for this conversation by Dr. Ashwin Desai, Professor of Sociology at the University of Johannesburg. Thanks for speaking to us this morning, Dr. Desai. Good morning. We also have Ravi Pillay, who's the MEC for Human Settlements. Good morning, um, MEC. Good morning, Satina, and good morning to your listeners and the professor. And uh, Pumlani Mfeka is also with us. He's a member of the Mazibuye African Forum. Thanks for your time as well. Uh, morning, Satina, and morning to the guests there. Mr. Mfeka, let me start with you. Uh, let me ask you, uh, what exactly is, is it that you are trying to highlight? What is the problem that you want to address here? Well, um, Sakina, um, there are issues in Guadalupe between the Indian and African people. And um, these issues have been around um, the province since before 1994. Um, it is as it has a result of these issues that we had the 1949 um, 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 confrontation and we had the 1985 confrontation, in which in both incidences um, the African people um, died in their numbers. Now, if you thoroughly research and assess the cause of those confrontations, you will realize that uh, the people raised issues of labor viol- uh, labor exploitation, physical abuse at work, and sexual violations, which were committed by pre- primarily Indian employers. Now, the it is it is the Indian it is said we say it is the Indian employers because in Guadalupe Natal our historical dynamics um, are completely different from other regions because um, it is in KZN where the Indian community arrived and it is in KZN where. Um, what was called passenger Indians were, were allowed. Um, so you find that as a result of colonial construct, the main um, employers in the province today uh, are the Indian people. So in, as a result, then you won't find, it, it, it doesn't make sense for us to, to say we are being exploited and not say who's exploiting us. And then, then it, it boils down, it, it also then shifts off to um, the issue of economic marginalization of the African people in Guadalupe-Natal. Because if you study history and you study the historical dynamics, you will realize that the African people, firstly, academically, were not as give, given the leeway that Indian people were given. So today, you, you find Indian people far more better educated than the African people. Um, economically as well, the, the, the Indian people were given leeway in Guadalupe-Natal far, far more better than the African people. And thus then, you find us today being grouped together in BEE 
um, affirmative action. And you find that we as African people, under any circumstances, cannot compete with the Indian business people because they had, by 1994, they had already established themselves quite well. You find that today, um, a person will tell you that they're running a business that was started by their by their great-great-grandfather. Yet our fathers are still treated as mats in, in, in the workplaces of Indian business people. So we then... Today, as the young people, of course, from Natal, we cannot um, keep silent um, under those circumstances. So what would you like to see happen? Well, we have been calling for the provincial government um, and government as a whole to deal with the issue. Let, let the issues to be discussed from a genuine and honest perspective. Because um, in, the, in 2002, Mbong did a song, and um, we had an Afro-Indian business dialogue that was held. Um, attended by your Vivian Reddys, um, your Trickham G's, um, even President Zuma was present, they can attest to it. A whole lot of, of, of hollow agreements were made, but nothing was done to follow up on that. And then in, in, in 2013, um, our king ha- had a, a gathering at Godrini, and um, Indian, business, Indian business people were invited, everybody was there. And um, our king said that, look, we need to find ways in which both these um, communities need to find ways in, to resolve the issues that affect them so that we can sit together and eat together. But we can't eat together without having washed our hands first. Um, that attempt as well fell into deaf ears. And um, unfortunately today, our people are at a state whereby they are sick and tired of trying and begging for the provincial government, for the leaders to listen because... Clearly, they're dismissive, suppressive um, to the issues being raised. They want to keep up this illusion that Africans and Indians in KwaZulu-Natal are living in absolute utopia and harmony when, when such is non-existent. So we, we, we cannot be, you know, re, uh, um, expected to romanticize and, and, and sugarcoat things which affect our people. We can't do that. So when you say people are sick and tired, uh, what does that mean? It means that, I mean, we as the leaders um, of, um, firstly, there's Masbue African Forum, um, then there's Inja Chamanguni, and there is your Mbumba Business Group, there is Mbumba. There's so many different groups um, that are raising the one and same thing. Now, we as the leaders of these groups, if then we say we, we have tried our best, um, the Gwazuna, the child government have, uh, are now, you know, they attempted a court interdict against myself, um, we have been attending various court cases. Yesterday we were, we were just coming from the Verulam Court, attending a case where we were protesting in Phoenix Industrial Park. Um, people were getting paid 57 rands a day, and they've worked 24 years for the company, and they get 50 rands per day, and they have no payslip. They, they're just completely not recognized whatsoever. They get employed on a daily basis for years, and, and that has been continuing unabated. Now, we were arrested because we were protesting for that, and um, you find that after that happened in 2013, and, and today it is 2015, but the case still hasn't gone to trial. Our, our, the magistrate is an Indian, the prosecutor is an Indian, the investigating officer is an Indian, all the witnesses are Indian, the complainants are Indian. Now, you, you ask yourself a question, what are we as leaders who are, who are said um, to be leading such a number of people facing these issues, what are we supposed to do? There will come a time when we will step back and allow the people to, to articulate these issues themselves. Whether they are as articulate as us is, is, is something that remains to be seen.
Mr. Pillay, let me hear from you. Uh, what's your response to the issues that Mr. Mfeka raises? No, thank you, Sakina. I think firstly, let's be clear as to what the interdict was about. The interdict was not about stifling any debate or discussion. The interdict was against an expression which amounted to a direct call for violence, a statement which included a call for a curtain of blood in KZN, a statement which included a posting that said, Saskati Sefigile, a good Indian is a dead Indian. Uh, now, that is the kind of language that we are seeking to interdict. And clearly that offends against the basic uh, constitutional values. So we believe it's a direct attack on the uh, freedom charter values that we seek to build. We have a constitutional and moral responsibility to oppose those basic values. And that is how, why the provincial government did what it did. The provincial government is very alive to the deeper socio-economic challenges that we face in KwaZulu-Natal. And indeed, the inequality debate is something that has been uh, very alive in our country as, as a whole. The, as a result of engagement with many stakeholders, including Mazibuya, the pro- provincial government held a procurement in Dava, for example, where everyone was consulted and some very strong resolutions uh, came out of that. For example, that the immediate target for procurement, state procurement, must be that the beneficiaries must be at least 60% uh, black African. We have got a targeted procurement policy now that seeks to say this category of jobs uh, will be reserved for certain categories that we seek to affirm and to progressively uh, reach, uh, achieve our transformation agenda. Thirdly, we appointed a social cohesion committee that was headed by eminent people like Professor Zulu, Paula Zulu, uh, Vasu Gandhan, uh, Paddy Kani from the religious sector and Professor Sherov Potkita. That report, although that team engaged in a number of focus groups over many months, they produced a draft report. We expect a final report to be ready before the end of November, and we hope that that will inform a very thorough and comprehensive program of action to seriously tackle the issues uh, that the online is raising. But it's wrong to label an entire community, and that's our great difficulty with Muslim Fekha's approach. The fact that there are individual wrongdoers, the fact that there might even be systemic uh, contradictions in the way we're doing things, those are matters for legitimate debate, and, and we must raise it and be able to address it in a systematic way. For example, on the procurement side, we're even disaggregating every sector of the economy and say, where are we establishing baselines and then saying, setting targets over annual targets and, and medium-term framework targets so that we can systematically address this. Of course, there's a broader social, uh, uh, psychological mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, matters which come from our history. I think we, must, we can't deny the history that we have, which is a product of apartheid, a product of colonialism, and there's racism, I think, in all communities. But to label a community to the extent that they have and make the kind of call that can, not, can only be interpreted as a call for violence cannot be acceptable. So is that an admission that there is an issue with racism uh, by Indian people in KZN? 
No, Sakina, we're South Africa. South Africa is coming from a particular history. I, I think we have a racism, a racism problem in the country as a whole. Yes. And, and it's multifaceted and complex. Sure, but we have no qualms calling out white people against their racism, so why should we have qualms about calling out anybody else? Absolutely. Absolutely. And whether they're Africans who are racist also, and if they're colored, they're racist, so be it as well. So is there a problem? Yes, there is a problem. It is a product of our history, and we need to address it. That is why we've taken the steps that we have taken as a provincial government. Dr. Desai, you, you, uh, you've been observing all of this. Uh, what's your take on what's happening here? Well, you know, I think uh, on the uh, you know uh, both speakers are pretty eloquent. They've been in this uh, uh, debate uh, for a long time now. Um, I think on the one hand we can say everything is the result of our history, but uh, in terms of your last question, uh, uh, those of us who live inside of the Indian community, there are new forms of racism that do that do emerge, and that uh, or, or people get liberated to express their their, their racisms. So. In terms of not all Indians, but there is a, a growing sense because people feel defensive. They feel they might be left out. They feel that they've been hurt, ironically, by, by affirmative action. But this has released also a, a, a sort of okayness uh, in terms of everyday racism, how they refer to African people, how they talk about African people. And, and, and there's a general sense that uh, this, this is a legitimate way in which you conduct conversation. So for anybody to come and deny that in, in, in our everyday experiences uh, that, that, that Indian people uh, do talk about African people uh, in racist ways and, and that this might be growing, I think that there is a case to be made for that. Now, uh, uh, I, I don't think we can hide by saying all communities are racist. We're dealing with a particular issue in KwaZulu-Natal, and this, and this province has had a history of conflict, and, and we have had the resurgence at the same time of a Zulu nationalism and a sense of Zulu-ness and a sense this is our time. So these kind of, on the one hand, a, a, a community like any community that uh, has done pretty well economically, on the other hand, a resurgence of Zulu nationalism, there's a renewed uh, sense that this could lead, lead to conflict. That's the one point. The second point is that uh, I think about the court cases, um, you know, long before the, the latest interdict, I think what has happened is that pe- some people have tried to deal with this debate by taking people into court. So I think uh, the Mazibuya Forum has been taken to the Equality Court by the Human Rights Commission, the Ahmed mm-hmm. Katlada Foundation, and so on. And, and one wonders, uh, you know, would this be the place to have a dialogue uh, in, in, in a court case, or is it an attempt to tie up uh, is to have a dual strategy. On the one hand, we wait for a social cohesion report. On the other hand, is to tie up this debate uh, in the minutiae of, of court cases. I think that would be uh, that would be the wrong way to go about this. And if everybody's saying, uh, including Mr. Freka, that we want a non-violent dialogue, uh, then we're at the same place. The problem we face, Sakina, is who does the dialogue? Uh, who talks to each other? And I think what mm-hmm. has happened with the Indian community is that in the absence of the Natal Indian Congress or some coherent uh, uh, a body that speaks, it's the elites of our community that speak. The huge uh, you know, Indian businessmen who have made millions and millions, ironically, out of government tenders and, and religious leaders that become the spokesperson of the community, religious leaders whose constituents we don't even know about. So I think we, you know, we have to have sober minds. Uh, nobody has a monopoly on this truth. 
Um, and, and neither does uh, Mr. Mfeka have a monopoly, neither does some co- social cohesion have a monopoly. Where this breaks and where we begin a dialogue, I, I have no answer to that. Well, interesting issue. And of course, the line's already burning uh, my Twitter timeline, Facebook page, messages streaming in. Everybody wants to get in and have their say. We are asking this morning uh, whether this is a ticking time bomb. What needs to happen here? And um, Kosing Pile says government needs to uh, seriously attend to this issue uh, because he says um, the Durban issue is fast becoming uh, one that is getting out of hand. So people really scared about what might eventually transpire. Transpire here. Let's go to the lines. Oh eight nine one one zero four two zero eight. Eddie, you calling from Cape Town? Um, hi there. Um, just just quickly, um, Sakina, the, the, the our constitution, you know, it has been hailed as the best thing that has ever happened in all over the world and so on. But I just want the professor there to go deeper into because my feeling, Sakina, is that this constitution was set in such a way that they have are protected with what they have, and they have notes uh, are on the outside, and consistently the, the constitution is rubbed onto their faces. So that, because look at property rights, for example. The guys that say, we want to occupy farms because we don't have a space, then you get told, the constitution said that there is um, civil rights, there is rights to ownership, and the, the guys that don't own anything don't have anything really. So I think the Constitution, as is, um, is being used as a cop-out, really, to, 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 to run away from these whole things. The second issue, Sakina, I think it was Stephen Friedman who said, there is a general sense in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in this community of ours in South Africa that um, um, maybe white people, Indians and so on, deliberately misunderstand a black person so that they can ridicule what this person is looking for. So, for instance, they will throw mud at this faker guy just just to 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 to, to delegitimize his concerns. Like um, what Adam he Habib did at this the other day before the student protest got out of hand. He said they always say it's just a few hot heads that are causing trouble when the community is basically pushing these guys who are the leaders and saying. Guys, we are done, you know. And finally, Sakina, it's not a ticking time bomb. This is a time bomb that is exploding as, as we speak now because people are sending us and saying corruption because the, the, the government of KwaZulu-Natal, if you look at it, Sakina, in a, in a sober manner, you can see there are some people who are being co-opted into um, uh, um, the, 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 those Indian uh, businesses that are exploiting the black people. And they, they are being... Um, sitting in, in public and saying, this is what we are going to do. But behind closed doors, they are being told, guy, you know what the deal is here. So okay. go tell those people that this is not going to happen. You know what I'm saying? Thank you so much, Eddie. In Cape Town, solo in Umsabuyalingana. Good morning. Good morning, Sakina, to your guests and uh, to your listeners. Continue, Hello. Solo. Yes, I just want to make a comment. Uh, we must not forget that a particular order was created by the name of imperialism with all its manifestations, colonialism and apartheid. So the the legacy of such a system is still looming very large in our society, giving a very uh, an unequal feature of, 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 of the setup 
of the society. Now, to begin to blame one particular racial sector, I think we'll be uh, veering into danger. What we should be doing is to say, how do we fight and struggle to create a more equal society where there will be interracial cohesion and integration, as opposed to begin to blame one party, which itself was once a victim of this particular order, which was created with an intention of creating these inequalities. Uh, I would love to stop there with my comment. Thank you so much, uh, Solo. And uh, this morning on the forum, we're asking whether the racism issue in uh, KZN, especially in Eteguini, is a ticking time bomb. Um, and this uh, in the light of uh, what is deemed a growing anti-Indian sentiment in the city. And our guest this morning, Mr. Pumlani Mfeka, was a member of the Mazibuye African Forum. We also have with us um, Mr. Ravi Pillay, who is MEC for Human Settlements um, and also a member of the Social Cohesion Committee and Dr. Ashwin Desai, a professor of sociology at the University of Johannesburg. I just want to run through some of the messages quickly before I get you to respond to some of the issues that the listeners raise. Mkot GP says there's a huge problem in KZN with racism. Otherwise, Mbongeni Ngema wouldn't have uh, done that song. And uh, that song is banned. This one, uh, Sakila Nguenya says, uh, what are the Indians' position on affirmative action? It seems they agree uh, that every, uh, with, with it everywhere in South Africa, but in KZN. Mtogozisi Shezi says, uh, that dialogue is long overdue, but KZN provincial government keeps sweeping the issue under the carpet and they are supported by the ANC. Maksuda Motala says, our constitution guarantees rights for all citizens. We need positive engagement from all to find a solution. Sabir Jezbai says, Mr. Mfeka is, not being, uh, is being economic with the truth. Indians were massacred by Africans in 1949 and 85. Indians are just the scapegoat here. Unanti uh, Kwaza says, racism isn't the problem Sakina. The problem is that black people are still marginalized post-apartheid. And then uh, this one from uh, Bram So says, Sakina, it is true the Indian community are looking down on black people. Even here in Port Elizabeth, they behave uh, as the whites do to us. Spiwe Keswa says, uh, Indians here in KZN are more racist than the whites. And then uh, Calvin Mohali says, uh, Indian people are full of racism and they think that they are better than us Africans, but they learned from Gandhi who called us by the K-word. Melissa Simang says, it's a fact and very much agree with what uh, Pumlani is saying. Something must be done to drastically change the situation in KZN. Uh, Spiwo says, uh, thanks for finally tackling this head on. Indians, even the poorest of them, still feel and regard themselves as superior to us. Obri Machitke, political analyst, says to argue that there is racism in all communities is usually a denialist attempt to change the subject. And Mags Naidu says, uh, many, many racist Indians who should be exposed um, and stopped, but Mveka, how ever is just a populist opportunist and he should be ignored. Those are some of the messages coming through. Um, Dr. Desai, let me start with you uh, concerning what Eddie was saying about the Constitution and how that is used to, uh, as a cop-out, essentially, uh, when we deal with issues such as racism. Well, I mean, uh, exactly. I mean, in the sense that, uh, you know, people keep referring to 1949 and, and 1949 
uh, you know, remains in the memory of many people, and I think it haunts many people, even in KwaZulu-Natal. So we can't ignore its historical uh, significance, and Mr. Mfeker uh, raised the matter about what might have been the, the, the lightning rods for those, uh, for, that, for that riot, including the fact that at that time, Indians owned all the land and were landlords in Cato Manor, and they owned all the buses, and they monopolized the, the small trade. And that became uh, a, a problem when, when the riots unfolded. But the, but but the, you know the, the, some great German philosopher said that history repeats itself. The first time is tragedy, the second time is farce. Now the farce is this: that what we have in place in in 1949, we had just one year into the apartheid government, a racist government which was seeking to divide people along the lines of race and reinforce that, and was quite happy to stand back when the riots when the riots unfolded because it reinforced that idea that races couldn't live together. The is this, that now we have a black government in power. <laughs> so there's a huge difference. And we have a black government in power, and we're talking about redistribution, we're talking about BEE, we're talking about people feel they don't get their just desserts given they, they're products of their history. So we have to take cognizance of that, uh, that, that the, 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 the pendulum is swung. But what then encumbers this government? What encumbers this government is a number of factors, including the fact that our economy is not growing, so redistribution often uh, is, is stymied because of this. What encumbers uh, this government is that they are, they have to rule according to a constitution. And that constitution, often from, from, from land to economics uh, to race, um, places certain boundaries on what they can do and can't do. And so, you know, we need, to be, we need to be sensitive to that on the one hand. On the other hand, I feel at the same time like, people like Mr. Pillay in, in government need to be much more flexible and much more open to other ideas. There's a sense that if there's a social cohesion report, it reports, and this is the, you know, this is the way it should go. This is like uh, uh, the holy writ of what is happening. I think those, those times have changed, that, that in fact things are changing quickly on the ground. In this province, people talk about rising uh, anti-Indian sentiment. Mm. Well, the most people who lost their lives in the last few months are African immigrants uh, in, in xenophobic attacks rather than Indians in, 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 in some kind of violence. So things change, and I think sometimes even in government, they need to start to be much more open and less arrogant in the way they want to say, we are going to deliberate on this matter and we are going to rule on this matter. But you're exactly right. I think there is a there is a thing like the constitution, and people need to debate that. You, and exactly like what 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 one one caller said, you know, you can't just isolate one community as a problem because once you start doing that, then you paint that whole community in a particular way. And this is exactly what happened in 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 in, in Germany as Hitler attempted to paint Jews in a particular way. We must be very careful when we are inside of the media and our opinion makers, how we conduct, our, how we conduct ourselves in the public domain. Mr. Mfeka? Uh, so can, can, can I respond to that, Sakina? Um, well, uh, Mr. Play, go ahead. I'll come to Mr. Mfeka. Yeah, I think the good professor is being a, a very unfair in, in, in describing government as, as, as being arrogant. It's precisely because government did not want to appear to be dictating anything and be, have a monopoly of all wisdom that you appointed essentially a civil society grouping as the, as the Social mm-hmm. Cohesion Committee. And they engage in a number of focus groups with diverse mm-hmm. sectors of society, including Mazigoya. And, and I think that therefore it's unfair to say that we are prescribing. Now, 
I think the, the report that we're saying will, will inform our actions, uh, will provide us with a basis for a program of action. But even then, the door is not just closed to that issue. I mean, I'm hoping Mr. Mfeka will be able to confirm that Mr. Kulani Dube, uh, Benedict Dube of the Zubera Institute, who hosted Dr. Desai's book launch, has facilitated a meeting between representatives of the Social Cohesion Committee and Mr. Mfeka this, this week. So the doors for constant engagement are open. We don't have a monopoly of the, on the wisdom and open to any ideas that will take us forward. Mr. Mfeka? Um, okay, firstly, I think that the, 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 the Honorable MEC is, is really overestimating the commission that they appointed. You cannot bring together a group of academics who, who have never been to Wamashu to discuss with the people there, have never been to Mkungunlovo, Umzind, or Newcastle, uh, and all the, the, the areas in which these, these, these issues arise. Uh, you get a, you get a bunch of, of 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 academics to sit together and then call a number of people to come and deliver uh, certain papers and then you say then you are dealing with the issue. I think that's a very wrong approach and I think it is from that premise uh, that the professor says uh, the government is is arrogant. The government must host commissions. For example, um, the by the newspaper, which is the first newspaper that actually called us down to sit with us and find out what were the issues, so that in their reporting. They don't report in a manner like the independent newspaper group who, who want to project that these people are just warlords and, and lunatics who want to, um, as another uh, uh, commentator said, we are populists and all that. Um, we had the, the, the presented the stories and they went and we directed them where to go, who to speak to with regards to the very same issues. And um, we're going to be hosting sessions with the Bayadi newspaper around the province, particularly in the areas um, where this issue is volatile. Um, so that the people themselves speak. We have affidavits of people who have been experiencing a variety of things, and those people need to be given an opportunity to speak, not certain academics, not Pumlani Fega. Pumlani Fega must have a time where he is silent, and the people need to speak for themselves. That is why we, we want a Truth and Justice Commission whose terms of reference will give it the powers to prosecute, because there are issues of serious, rampant sexual violations happening to domestic workers and to our sisters who work for Indian business people. Now, we cannot be expected to sugarcoat that. We won't do that because those are our sisters, those are our mothers. We can't be expected to be, to be kind and be eloquent and be articulate about those issues. You know, I think that as soon as people come out from their offices and begin to walk on the ground and speak to the people on the ground and do ground intelligence, then they will begin to realize and appreciate how volatile the situation is. Yesterday, people were, we were inundated with calls. Um, from people who were very upset that they, what they perceived to be the Muslim community coming together to discuss Africans. Now, people saw that as a, a, a sort of provocation of sorts. And it was us as leaders who had to say, no, um, it's not a provocation. Allow them to have their say. And then the, we, if, if indeed they are serious about dealing with the issues, we will hear what they have to say. But this is, the, the issue is that People want to come and dictate to, to, to Mfega and to other leaders how they should conduct their struggle. Whereas if I today am dealing with a lady, for example, yesterday I got a call from a lady. She's been working for an Indian family since 1984. She gets paid 1,300 rand today. Now, and then, and then there's a whole host of other issues that happens to her. What are, what, what are you, what, what, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say? What, what, what language am I supposed to use? Must, what, 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 in what way 
am I supposed to articulate myself so that the leaders hear what I'm trying to say? If Ufega did not raise issues in the manner in which he did, we wouldn't be having this discussion fucking at all. It would remain as, 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 as a suppressed and, and, and dismissed issue until we find ourselves in a situation whereby the people of Guazulu begin to react. And, 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 and that is not a threat to, to, to the Indian community because if indeed we wanted war against the Indian community, social media is, is, is by far the least medium to do that. You can go to any hostel in, in Guazulu and ask them about hashtags. They, they, they don't even know what you're on about. So we need to be serious when we're dealing with these issues. We need to appreciate the depth of these issues. We can't come and say we want to dictate to the people what they should and shouldn't do. Uh, Mr. Play, respond to that. Yes, I don't think anyone is dictating as to uh, how, how should, one should raise an issue. Nobody is saying that valid cases should not be taken up and I think our legal system should have the basis to do so. If there's, uh, there's a shortfall in that system and the ability to process issues, we think definitely government has a responsibility to come in and, and assist. But I think that the, the first part of the debate is, is there a line to be drawn as to how we take up issues? Because it's very easily easy to, to descend into a, a level where the, the language really incites uh, violence. And that's not going to take us anywhere. Now, the issues that have been raised are, are issues that should be up for discussion. We, I, I think it's belittling the, 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 the Social Cohesion Committee that has engaged in many months of work in trying to give us an informed informed direction. Now, if the report comes out and, and people are not happy, I think the provincial government would be happy happy to listen. So I, I want to make it clear that we we, we take the, the condition of our people very seriously. We observe and want to react effectively. The transformation process and agenda, we can't pretend that it's a, a, a simple process. We have to engage seriously. We have to we, we, we buy into the concept of radical economic transformation, whether it's on land issues, whether it's on uh, uh, procurement opportunities. That's what we've been debating and discussing and putting in place practical programs to achieve that. I mean, just if you talk about uh, uh, procurement opportunities and, and having set aside where we are actually challenging the, the conventional interpretation of the, uh, the, the legal framework to say that you must have a, 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 a program that complies all times with uh, fair, competitive, transparent, and, and, uh, and efficient. We think set aside are a radical uh, attempt to, to address these issues. But the deeper issues of racism, uh, we agree completely that we, we would encourage the kind of dialogue, we encourage our, our religious leaders. This last night I was there at the family meeting. And I think while people were saying that there's a line beyond which we should not go, people were open to engage and take up issues. The, the program director, who is the, a, a, a key member of SAMNET, said they are prepared to activate the entire religious network, the, the business community, to say that, look, those who are wrong, doing wrong uh, cannot be left unchallenged, and they are prepared to be part of challenging those who are doing wrong. Okay, let's go to the lines. 891 KGM in Cape Town, good morning. Good morning, Sagina. Uh, and, and Sagina, here, here's a quick fact. You see, as South Africans, we've allowed ourselves to be so mediocre in a sense that we allow criminals, we allow people who perpetuate all these things that we're complaining about to be our leaders. I mean, the, the very people who are protecting racism 
in particular in KZN are, are the very same people who are benefiting from them, are benefiting from this racism, and therefore they will go at length, especially politicians, to pro- protect what's not supposed to be protected. But the last point, um, you know, I, I, I've got a, a business partner, a business associate in, in, in Devon. I'm in Devon at the moment. He's a Pakistanian. He will tell you himself, he complains day in, day out about Indians who ill-treat blacks beyond imagination. We will be in our business. I'll, I'll be there as they walk into, into the shop. Immediately, I'm an employee. The way they talk to me and the way they talk to him, completely different. Now, that's a small example, but it's big for us as black people. We can't sugarcoat like your, 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 your guest is saying. We, we don't need to talk anymore. I think our people need to stand up on their feet and make sure that whether it's in KZN or anywhere in the country, we need to root this out. We need to, the same movement that the students did, we need to start going to that level because politicians do not listen because they are benefiting. Thank you, KGM. Bashir in Lanesia, good morning. Hi. Look, I'm glad people are not, are not uh, sugarcoating things anymore and people uh, and these issues do need to be talked about. But a little balance, I think, you know, uh, would be welcome. You know, I'm getting the impression that all Indians in KwaZulu-Natal are, li- are living in a lap of luxury. They're all rich. They're all driving around in rich cars. They all have businesses. They're all exploiting African people, which is not true. I mean, I was there for many, uh, for, for many years, and, I, and what I've seen was grinding poverty, you know, in Chatsworth, Phoenix, uh, among the Indian community. Um, you know, I, I, I've also seen Indians being victims of crime. I've seen uh, Indians being victims of even uh, reverse racism, ironically, you know. Um, so, you know, simply saying that, look, all Indians are bad, all Indians are, you know, uh, are, are racist, all Indians have businesses. I mean, I don't think that is constructive dialogue. I think that is simply setting the scene for some sort of uh, a mass murder. And, and, uh, and no, Dr. Desai, you know, he's, uh, he's referring to it as a farce. I don't think mass murder is a farce. Ask the people from Rwanda. I think we need to inject some balance or else we're not having a dialogue. What we're simply doing is setting the scene, you know, uh, for, for a clash between uh, races in, in, in Natal, and I don't think that's going to be helpful. Thank you, Bashir. Ntlantla and Guamashu, good morning. Good morning. Uh, because the economy in Wazulu Natal and everywhere in the country is racially owned, then there's racism in this country, there's racism in Japan. Uh, it is a fact, uh, Sakina and the uh, uh, presenters there uh, at the studio that uh, Indians, particularly the Muslim uh, community, are supporting the African national nationals who happen to be uh, Muslim. They don't support uh, the uh, Africans who are not uh, uh, Muslim, who happen to be Christians. And uh, we have got facts in that regard that when you go and buy at a discounted price in one of their shops, uh, because you are not a Muslim, you are not allowed to buy at a discounted uh, price. But the African uh, uh, foreign nationals uh, who happen to be Muslims are allowed to buy. And we are always told, I'm, I'm talking this because I just tried to assist some of the people who wanted to open up businesses. And they, they, they say, you are not going to get access into places uh, of, of trade because you are not a Muslim. You have to follow what they, they believe in before you do that. I'm saying there's racism, there's racism in the economy. As long as we are not addressing racial economy, the racism will always remain. And the, 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 the issue is bigger than what is being discussed at the studio. Thank you.
Thank you so much um, there. Let's go to Yvonne in Hillcrest. Hi, Yvonne. Good morning. Um, I just want to mention this business about colonialism and apartheid. I remember very, very clearly in 1949 where the Indians were attacked by the Africans. They were running down Gray Street shouting, Bulala Amakula. I remember that very, very clearly. And it was always swept under the carpet. And as far as racism is concerned, affirmative action is a perfect example. That's all I've got to say. Thank you, Yvonne. And Hillcrest, George in Cape Town. Good morning, Sakina. I think uh, Mr. Mfeka is playing a very dangerous game, you know, labeling the entire Indian community as racist. Racism is a huge problem in this country amongst within every community. And we've inherited this apartheid and colonial legacy, a policy of divide and rule, where Indians in the past were, you know, uh, enjoyed a higher place in the hierarchy under apartheid in terms of uh, educational opportunities and so on. But to, dis- to, to label all Indians as racist is, is actually racist in itself. And furthermore, you know, these cases of exploitation, there's exploitation by black people of other black people, of white people, of, you know, it's across the board. And we've got a system here now in this country, and what's causing this uh, uh, problem to uh, rear its ugly head again is the fact that we've got, uh, you know, dire economic conditions where people are struggling to survive. It's a dog-eat-dog economic system that's not promoting a cohesive and non-racial society. Thank you so much. Uh, George, Hassan Logat in Auckland Park. Uh, Yeah, uh, Sakina, my issue is really that uh, I think that the discussion is valuable, but if it's always premised or uh, predicated by the possibility of violence, then I think we need to have a broader discussion about how we have a discussion without that. But this is not to deny the racism within this community that some of us grew up in. I was last week in Fordsburg, and one of the bosses was calling a worker by some animal name. You know, so quite clearly it's there. And I live in a Lanesia area where workers get peanuts for, for pay. All workers, Indian, colored, and African workers get really nothing, and they get treated very despicably. So I really think that there's something to be discussed. For me, the issue is that if we simply discuss it as a basis of a, a, a race blame for a whole group, then we will have the story that some people say, well, the Zulu people as a whole were collaborationists. And I think sometimes it becomes unuseful to do that. Thank you, Hassan. Kolani in Clarkstorp. Yeah, a majority of Indians are racist. That's the truth. You know, my friend, my friend, yet their deeds are opposed to death. Go to Porsche in Muhaddin and Delhi Park. You will see what I'm talking about. Domestic workers there are treated like slaves, working over time. You may have to look after their kids, and yet they are paid peanuts. They have become, you know, slasalamafuta to black women, you know, and Indians. In part, when the municipality wanted to, was building a center next to Muhadim, which is the Indian community, they were against that, you know, development. They say, you know, blacks are criminals, all those things are going to affect their, you know, their place, their house, everything. Even in their businesses, they still think blacks are, are not equal to Indians. They think they are superior than the blacks. When we fight about it, I thought Indians were blacks, but they are not the way they are treating us black people. That's the reality, you know, we can try to run around. Indians, majority of them are racist. Thanks, Akina. Thank you so much. Well, we have to wrap it up, and unfortunately, only about a minute, 45 seconds to each of you. Let me start with you, uh, Dr. Desai. 
Well, I mean, I think I'm glad we're talking about balance, and I think we're all for that. But it works on both sides. If you take last night's meeting, you must look at the advert for that meeting. It was really hysterical. Every temple, every church, every community policing forum should be attending this meeting. So this this issue has now become a crime issue. So I think we must be careful on both sides, and not only one see one call for one side of balance. But I think if ever this problem is needed, a movement, racism must fall then now is the time so that all of us can be involved in, in confronting racism. And I think that will go a long way to putting racism on the agenda, but not just isolating one community for, for attack. Pumlani Mfeka? I think, Sakina, um, this, this issue is an issue of national importance, and it should be treated as such. Um, the attempted silencing of uh, people like Pumlani Mfeka um, will have ultimate consequences if it is indeed um, if indeed we find out that there are people behind them, because when that happens, um, they, everybody will then turn around and say, "Well, it is Mpega who, who, who advocated for this violence that is ha- that, that is now upon us." But I can assure you that the situation is is, is very very volatile, and until it, it, it receives serious immediate intervention then we, are, we, must pre- we must all brace ourselves. I mean, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. We must brace ourselves. Thank you. And uh, Mr. Pillay? No, thank, I think the provincial government uh, uh, takes very seriously its, its constitutional and indeed moral responsibility to uphold the values of the new society that we're trying to build. So we, have, we will have to intervene and take steps when that is threatened. But we also, we accept, have to look at any underly- all the underlying issues. And we accept that the task of moving from our past into the new society is not going to be easy. We also accept that there needs to be a more urgency in, in, in dealing with the issues. There needs to be a more aggressive policy in, in dealing with the matter. It could, the analysis could very well end up to say that uh, really, because somebody uh, who said there that the thousands of families who are living in very poor conditions in, in Chatsworth or Velbudasin should not be uh, stigmatized with this broad brush statement. But having said that, if there's an issue that is raised, it is our responsibility in provincial government, indeed government as a whole, to deal with it. Even the land issue that was raised, uh, there's a new expropriation act that's in in the system of parliament designed to have the ability to deal more aggressively with the the land issue. So radical economic transformation is part of our agenda. We would like to work with all parties to be able to effect it meaningfully. Of course, again, the students' movement protest has indicated that there's a broader equality or inclusiveness debate that we all need to buy into and say that it is a national imperative that we engage in. We accept that responsibility and we will engage with all stakeholders in taking that program forward. And that, unfortunately, is where we have to leave it. That's all we have time for. Thanks for your participation. We've raised the issue. Uh, It is in the spotlight. So let's engage meaningfully and constructively on it. It's one minute after nine. Kumbuzile Tabet is standing by with the news.